Hi readers, and welcome to Beth's Bookcast, a podcast for book lovers and a place to share new books, enjoy old favorites, and think about the reading life. I'm Beth Jordahl, your host, a lifelong reader and believer in the power of story. Thank you for joining me today. Now pour yourself a cup of something delicious, settle down in your favorite comfy seat, and let's talk about books. Well, welcome, Molly. I'm so glad to have you on the podcast today. And I'm so excited to talk about your book. So could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure, and thanks for having me. I am a marriage and family therapist in private practice. And I came to this career in midlife. My previous career was in healthcare administration. Mm. And then I took a time out when my kids were... Uh, school age. And as my son, who was the second of our children, was in later part of high school, I went back to graduate school and got a master's in marriage and family therapy. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Good for you. I'm sure that must have been a little hard. It was. It it was. I love being a student. So I was Mm. excited. And I I went to a seminary, um, which had been a dream. Yeah, Um, But I thought that I would study theology because I was, during the years when I was not doing paid work, I was uh, very active in volunteering with a women's Bible study and um, teaching and just thought, gosh, I really want to go to seminary and study theology and just Mm -hmm. be a better teacher. Yeah. And then God really surprised me. (laughs) Yeah. Um, With this, you know, idea of being a marriage and family therapist. Yeah, that's. That's really great. I love that. I actually yeah. had started my master's in counseling and then wow. took a pause when my uh, second daughter was born. And so I haven't gotten the time to come back to school yet, but I love hearing from counselors and listening to counselors and therapists. I love that whole profession. Yeah. 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 Well, hopefully the time, the right time will come for you. Yes, I think it will. I think it will. Yeah. So how did you get into writing? Well, it's interesting because um, I've, in even back in my profession in healthcare administration, I, I always, when I learn something, I want to teach it to other people. Yeah. And at some point, I realized, oh gosh, when you teach, you write. You mm-hmm. know, so you write curriculum. Or when I was all those years of teaching the Bible study, I was writing lectures. Yeah. And um, and so that's really how I started writing. And um, had no intention of doing anything beyond that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, writing a book is very different, I think, than um, writing curriculum. Absolutely. A little, <laughs> a little bit more dedication. Yeah. Uh, speaking of your book, can you tell us a little bit about it? Sure. Um, yeah, so I think the simplest way to give people a sense for for why I wrote it, what it's about is this Mm -hmm. perplexing question in the um, Christian community of why we talk so much about love, Mm -hmm. but if we're honest, often fail to be loving. Yes. And, um, and so that was also sort of the impetus for the book, Mm -hmm. um, was, you know, as a practicing therapist, having gone to a seminary, a lot of clients who came to me were in the Christian community. And I started hearing 
um, of course, you know, people come to therapy because they're struggling with something, whether it's relational or some other kind of symptom. Yeah. And I would hear that they had tried to um, seek help in mm. their spiritual community mm -hmm. and often um, left either frustrated or even feeling shame um, or even worst case, you know, further wounded. Yeah. And, you know, I started talking to colleagues saying like, you guys seeing this too? Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, I kept hearing, oh, yeah, I hear that all the time. Uh, and that was really the impetus um, for writing the book was, okay, you know, we're all well-intentioned. We don't want to be harming people. So what's going yeah. on here? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then your book kind of starts there in that place, but also covers a lot about mm -hmm. personal healing as well. Absolutely. You know, I, I mean, I, I would, I mean, I think... Ideally, if we, especially if we pay attention to the things Jesus was talking about, yep. you know, the, the church should be a place of healing where people can come and, and reliably, um, wherever they are in their journey, you know, feel like whatever they're struggling with, that they can get support for that. And I, and I again, believe that most people are very well-intentioned and do what they know how to do. Mm -hmm. um, but it really, yeah, it really comes back to, and I'm probably jumping ahead on your questions, but it really <laughs> That's okay. gets, you know, it really gets to a point of we have to heal ourselves in order to be available to heal others or to even just to walk with people on their journey. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think there is a disconnect um, in communities <laughs> between mm -hmm. like, you know, helping someone and being well-intentioned and then just crushing them and stepping all over them and, saying the wrong thing. It's kind of like that yeah. quote, um, you know, laugh in the world laughs with you cry and you cry alone. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Um, so in this book, you focus a lot on the practice of internal family systems, which was fascinating to me because it's not something that I've ever read about or interacted mm -hmm. with. So can you kind of give us an overview and tell us about that a little bit? Sure. Um, internal family systems is a secular model of psychotherapy. So okay. when therapists are trained, whether they're in, trained in a seminary or, or in a secular um, institution, mm -hmm. we all learn, you know, different theories of how people function and how to help them heal. Yeah. And internal family systems is one of those. It's a it's an approach to therapy that's been around for about 35 years. It's it's what we call an evidence based model, meaning rigorous scientific research and controlled studies have been done to determine the efficacy of this approach. Yeah. Um, and I am all about in my work, I have primarily um, specialized in working with the impact of trauma and other kinds of adversity. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm all about comprehensive healing, not there are places for sort of symptom relief. Yeah. But that's really not what gets me passionate. I'm all about mm. let's heal wounds. <laughs> yeah. um, and I I came upon IFS. I heard about it in grad school, but really wasn't didn't the way I was exposed to it didn't do it justice. And so came upon it a little bit later on after I had uh, specialized in a couple of other models of especially focused on treating trauma. Yeah. And and when I was reading a good description of IFS, I thought, but this is exactly what I hear from my clients. And okay. so what, and what that is, that's different, as you said, most people haven't heard of this. Yeah. Um, even therapists, I mean, it's really grown in the last five to 10 years, but um, it, what IFS recognizes is 
that when we pay attention to what's going on inside of us, mm-hmm. there's a lot of different voices. Yeah. <laughs> think subpersonalities. Now, most of us are comfortable with the idea of, say, a personality typology. Yeah. Most people have done some kind of thing, strengths finders or the Enneagram or, you know, yeah. Myers-Briggs, something. Yeah. So it, that's a familiar concept. And this kind of takes it one step further. It says, well, when we start paying attention to what's going on inside, it's like we have a whole bunch of people in there. Yep. And thus the name internal family systems. Mm-hmm. So we think of it as a family of um, different parts of us that have different roles and and you know the model the perspective of this model is that this is how we come into the world Mm -hmm. and it's not pathology and when we think about the fact that as christians we worship a god who is multiple yeah and we're told in scripture that we're created in god's image Yep. Then it makes sense. Yeah. We too are multiple. (laughs) Yeah. We just haven't been taught to think of ourselves that way. And most people really um, readily resonate with this, you know, um, idea of, well, a part of me wants to do this, but a part of me (laughs) doesn't, you know. Yes. Pick pick your dilemma. I mean, you know, exercising more, eating right, Uh um, (laughs) switching jobs, any decision provokes this kind of polarity. Yes, definitely. Yeah. And so, so what happens in this system? So we're born into this world with these parts that just bring wonderful qualities that make us who we are. You think of a a gemstone with facets. Yeah. Um, But none of us escape some form of adversity. Mm -hmm. You know, this is a fallen world. And so we have experiences, um, whether that's a something in our early childhood say that affects the nature of our attachment to one of our parents Mm -hmm. or other important caregivers, um, or you name it, all the kinds of adversity that can happen to humans. Mm -hmm. Those are the wounds that, um, you can think about if you, you stay with this metaphor of an internal family, let's say there's this member of the internal family Mm -hmm. that, that takes on a wound. Mm-hmm. You know, that has some experience, makes this meaning of it that like, oh, this happened because I'm stupid. Yeah. This happened because I'm unlovable. Mm-hmm. And then there's this emotion of shame mm-hmm. or grief. And so here's this little part of us that's wounded. Mm-hmm. Well, the wound becomes this threat to the system because wounds are vulnerable. Wounds can get, you know, poked yep. and it hurts. And so other parts of the system say, hmm, well, vulnerability is scary. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm going to take on a role to protect this from happening again. So, for instance, common, most people have some kind of wounding experience in school. Yes. You know, a teacher who mm-hmm. shames them or maybe a parent's upset with them for not getting the A plus they think they should have gotten. Mm-hmm. And depending on the nature of the context, sometimes that's enough of a wound that a protected a, a, a part of the system, a member of this family, yeah. takes on a job that says, "Well, that's never going to happen again." Yeah. So I'm going to be the perfect student. I'm never going to make another mistake because when I made a mistake this last time, I got shamed for it. Mm-hmm. And so we have this team part of our you know family inside are these protectors who 
either work really hard to try to make sure that we don't get wounded in the same way again, or unfortunately, sometimes that wound surfaces. You know, the common term for this these days is getting triggered. Yeah. So something that happens in the past gets triggered, which you can think of it as like bubbling up from the, you know, from underneath. Here it bubbles up to the surface. And then another kind of protector says, oh, no, oh, no. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm in shame, you know, and they jump in and say, let's, how do we numb this? How do we disconnect from this? And that's where maybe we use substances or some other compulsive behavior or even just workaholism or overexercise. I mean, there are all kinds of things that we do just to numb out, to distract ourselves and to disconnect from pain. Mm -hmm. And so, gosh, I know this is a lot of information. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But when when we begin to understand ourselves this way, I mean, the premise of this model is that these protectors and these wounded parts of us are that when we have symptoms it's reflective of something going on with a member of our internal family yeah and so we we connect with them and we find out what's going on like if it's a protector why are you working so hard yeah Mm -hmm. what are you afraid is going to happen if you stop doing that And then we learn, oh, well, you know, you're going to get shamed again. And they point us to these experiences um, that we've held in our system since they happened Mm -hmm. that never got resolved. Now, sometimes we have adverse experiences that get resolved, but sometimes we don't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think just that ability to hold space for yourself. That was great reading that in your book, just like that Mm -hmm. pause moment and being like, okay, I'm here. I'm curious about what's going on in my own brain and my own heart. I'm not judging myself for these feelings and emotions and thoughts. I thought that was a great picture of what Christ does for us. Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, you know, I, I could go on and on about <laughs> the integration of this model with Christian spirituality, mm-hmm. with biblical truth, uh, with scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the reasons I got so excited about this was not only because I saw this, you know, it made it, it, it brought a lens to what was, I was seeing with clients, Yeah. but it is also so congruent with Christian spirituality. Yeah. And, you know, Jesus, when someone's in need, Jesus's response is to turn toward them, yeah. to offer presence. And, um, you know, one of the things that we do that, we mean well, but people often will jump in, say, to give advice when yeah. someone's struggling. Mm-hmm. Often not, not asking, <laughs> do you want my advice? Uh-huh. <laughs> but jumping in and giving that, and I think about Jesus who knew exactly what yeah. the person needed. Yeah. He never did that. Yeah. You know, he would ask, well, what do you want? Mm-hmm. You know? And, and so... You know, so again, I could go on and on about that. And, and you know, the one one piece of this is understanding, again, I, my premise is that we mean well, but we jump in to give advice because it is really vulnerable mm-hmm. to just be with someone who's struggling and not try mm-hmm. to fix it mm-hmm. because it, it starts touching our own pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like if I'm with somebody who's grieving a loss, and I have experienced a loss, 
I might work really hard to try to make them okay because parts of me fear that if I don't, my own grief is going to surface. Yeah. And then I'm going to be overwhelmed with it and sucked back into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really good. I think, um, yeah, being able to acknowledge that is huge. Yeah, and it's just about recognizing when we, you know, it really is, I know it's a tired analogy, but <laughs> when you can put on a new pair of glasses, you see yes. the world differently. Yeah. And this model offers us a way of understanding ourselves that most people, when they start thinking this, we start saying, oh my gosh, this, yes, this mm-hmm. makes so much sense. Yeah. And, it, and it's freeing because we also, let's say we have a particular behavior that we feel ashamed of. Yeah. And often you'll hear, you know, people say, well, I'm just angry all the time. I'm an angry Mm. person. Mm -hmm. And they feel a lot of shame about, you know, their rage, let's say. Mm -hmm. But when they start understanding that this anger is held by a part of their system that probably means, well, yeah, that's using this rage to protect them from feeling some really intense pain, mm-hmm. it opens space for grace. It yeah. opens space to say, oh, hmm, maybe I could get curious yeah. about what's provoking this rage. And we actually befriend these parts of us. That is the practice that I teach in my book. I call it a new spiritual practice. Yep. Um, and as we befriend parts of us, they, you know, they want to be in relationship. You know, mm-hmm. our vision of life is the great commandment, which is all about being in relationship with God and one another and ourselves. Mm-hmm. And this is the ourselves part of it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Which is so key. <clears throat> that relationship, that first relationship that we have with ourselves. Um, as a wife and a mom, as I was reading the book, I was like, wow. So this, it goes so deep because then once you've held that space for yourself, you can hold that space and non-judgment and grace for those around you. But could you maybe cover a little bit like learning these things? How do we um, apply that to our relationships with our families or our friends? Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, as we understand ourselves this way and we befriend these parts of us, what happens is um, the protectors in our systems work really hard because they mm-hmm. They're afraid that whatever pain we hold is going to surface. And, and so as we befriend them and they relax, Mm -hmm. what comes to the forefront are these wonderful qualities we possess because we're created in God's image. Mm -hmm. And of course, there's no limit to those qualities in the, in the IFS model, the researcher who developed the model noticed that they fall, that that there are these eight C words that describe these qualities. Yeah. And so there are things like curiosity, which I mentioned, and Mm -hmm. calm, compassion, clarity, lots of great C words. Mm -hmm. And these, these are not things we have to work hard to develop. This is another distinction between IFS and some other models. Mm -hmm. Um, We see them as intrinsic resources, again, congruent with the fact that we're created God's image. Mm-hmm. And, and when we work with our own system and help these protective parts of us to relax, more of this, 
juicy stuff yeah. know, comes to the forefront. These seas, <laughs> our love, our grace, our natural ability. God is love and we're creating his image. So yes. loving is something that should be very natural. And so as we do our inner work, then when we show up in relationship, we're able to connect in a much deeper way. We're able, mm-hmm. to, you know, it helps as we understand ourselves this way. Let's say I'm upset with my husband for something. Mm-hmm. And I remember, oh, you know, that's a part of him that does this because X, Y, Z. I know it means well. Mm-hmm. And it keeps me from getting all riled up. Mm-hmm. And I can interact with him with some compassion, let's say, for why this part of him is stirred up right now. Yeah. And and the it really shifts the tenor of the relationship. Yes. Yeah. And similarly with my children, my children are adults. They both are parenting adults now. So I have <laughs> two grandchildren and one on the way. Oh, that's um, so exciting. Yes. It's wonderful. And, and, you know, and, and yet they're, um, you know, they're in a season of life that's very stressful. Yes. Yes, I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so when they call me, I can be a calm presence. Yeah. I can feel compassion, you know, as mothers, you know, we don't like it when our kids are in pain. No, yeah. When they're struggling. So there can be this temptation to jump in and fix it and tell them what they need to do. Mm-hmm. And because of the work that I've done, I can show up in a much calmer space. And and that's what we really need as yeah. a starting point when we're in distress. Yeah, I totally agree. I have a three-year-old and a 19-month-old. And uh, yeah, if I am not calm, like if I am not in a calm space, then whatever emotion they are exhibiting, it just aggravates it. We aggravate each other. And so if I can come back down into that calm space, it's amazing what it can do for this situation. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what's so cool is knowing as young as your children are, now they're going to manifest these qualities differently than Mm -hmm. you manifest them as an adult because we have more physiology when we're we're adults than when we're three and 19 months. Yeah. But they also have these qualities. Mm -hmm. And it's so cool. You start watching your children. I was watching my grandchild because I was teaching this model to some therapists. And I did some little videos when my granddaughter was four months old and she was exhibiting curiosity and she was exhibiting, you know, connection. And Mm -hmm. um, it's just cool stuff. Yeah, that's great. I love that. I know my um, three-year-old has started to respond to her sister. So she'll be like, oh, Abby, we have to calm down. Let's take a deep breath in and out. And it's so sweet. I'm like, oh, my gosh. You're so much more emotionally aware than I think I was at three. I guess I don't know, but it's so fun to watch that. I love it. Well, and kudos to you, mom, because, (laughs) you know, one of the, one of the books that I used in the, in the second part of my book, I, Mm -hmm. I go into, you know, a topic that sounds very heavy, which is interpersonal neurobiology, but (laughs) my point in going into it. At, at hopefully an accessible level yes. is that I think it really helps us to understand, you know, how humans develop and the fact oh, yeah. that we are vulnerable and these things that shape us. Because again, you know, my hope is that people can, can be more loving. And the more we understand the impact of life on us, the more we can be loving and just mm-hmm. gracious. And, you know, and so 
one of the books that that I used is is by Daniel Siegel, who's a renowned interpersonal neurobiologist, basically developed okay. the whole field. Mm-hmm. And he has a parenting book called Parenting from the Inside Out. And his mm-hmm. whole thesis is that if the parent does the work, they can shift however they were raised. Mm-hmm. If they're willing to do their inner work. They can parent differently. Mm-hmm. If we don't do that, <laughs> yeah, we're going to repeat the patterns. Yeah. Wow, that's so deep. <clears throat> I'm going to have to read that book, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Parenting from the Inside Out. <clears throat> um, it's, in, uh, it's cited in my book. So okay. You'll find it in there. Oh, that's great. Um, so as we're, you know, as we're Christians and we're interacting with other Christians and trying to, like we said at the beginning, where Christians can cause a lot of harm, other people can cause a lot of harm while someone's going through hardship. So how does the IFS and how does vulnerability and all of that support, how can we use that to support someone as they go through hard stuff? Yeah. Well, what I do in the book is I go through, I, I dedicate one chapter to each of four common causes of distress. Mm-hmm. So the loss, betrayal, which can be betrayal of abuse, betrayal of racism, betrayal of abandonment, whatever it might be, mm-hmm. um, adultery, um, the addiction, mm-hmm. chapter on addiction, and then the emotional response to physical and mental illness. And yeah. the purpose of each of those four chapters is to help the reader understand, once they understand this model, which I described earlier in the book, how do, you know, what happens in me? Mm-hmm. When I'm walking along somebody side, somebody who's suffered a loss, mm-hmm. when I'm walking alongside a friend who's going through the, the pain of, of adultery, mm-hmm. when I'm walking alongside a family member who's struggling with addiction, or when someone has been, you know, is, is living with chronic illness, whatever the distress might be, the first step is we have to go inside and work with the parts of us that are having a reaction to that. Yeah. Because otherwise that's where, that's who shows up to connect with that person. Yeah. Instead of showing up from our soul, if you will, or what I talk about in the book, this place where we're in harmony with the Holy spirit, Mm -hmm. where we are offering the intrinsic resources we possess along with the power of the spirit Mm -hmm. to meet that person in their need. And so it really is all about doing our work, to release the constraints to the love that is there, mm-hmm. to the compassion that is there, to the clarity that is there, which helps us know, and or maybe patience that helps us slow down and say, you know, I might have some wisdom to offer this person, yeah. But now's not the time yeah. to slow down enough to listen and know what does this person need, mm. and and so it's all about the more we do our own work. And, mm-hmm. and honestly, when we're trained as therapists in this model, so because this is true in a clinical setting too, yeah, we do our own work so we can show up with clients in the best way possible with drawing on these resources, bringing as much power of the Holy Spirit um, so that we can help people with whatever their struggle is. Yeah, that's good. Um, on a practical level, like in the day-to-day, if you're noticing that you're responding to someone poorly, how do you how do you suggest someone take that time to stop? If they don't have time, like right then and there, is yeah. there some ways that they can like diffuse the situation or be more helpful? Yes. And 
you know, the, in the, the, in the moment, mm-hmm. the more you, you know, it helps to, to preface the moment with an understanding. <laughs> let's say somebody, you know, you've read my book, let's say. Yeah. So you're starting to have this idea of, okay, but these different parts of me. Yeah. So in the moment, when one of those parts jumps up and you know that because basically you say, well, it's not one of these eight C's I've been reading. Yeah. But even if, if maybe something triggers that memory and mm-hmm. it surfaces, we can still, you know, put our hand on our heart and say, I feel you. I know mm-hmm. you're there. I care about you. In fact, I love you. Mm-hmm. And what happened to you? I'm really sorry. And that alone is balm, mm-hmm. you know? And, and it can, can really shift how you're able to show up in the world, you know, mm-hmm. in your important relationships and in other responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> like you said, in the book, you do talk a little bit about how to get started on that spiritual practice of recognizing those parts of yourself. But if you were to give like the the shortened elevator pitch version for someone who's interested in trying it, um, what would that be? The first step is to shift your awareness. Now it helps to be in a quiet, calm place. Maybe you're out in the woods taking a walk. I live in central Oregon, so I walk Ooh, around pretty. the woods Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But wherever, if you can quiet your external world, Mm-hmm. And then turn your awareness to the internal world and just notice mm-hmm. what's there. Mm-hmm. And what's there could be thoughts, could be emotions, mm-hmm. could be sensations in your body. Maybe there are some images. And you kind of, you know, if let's say something has prompted you to do this, you probably know what it is you're trying to connect with. Yeah. But if it's just a daily practice, you just, like who's there this morning? (laughs) Yeah. And you show up and notice. And when you get a sense of a part of you that needs attention, you turn your attention to it and ask yourself this kind of assessment question of like, how open is my heart toward Mm. this part of me? Mm -hmm. Because unfortunately it would be really easy if only one part showed up at a time, but it's, it's more like a noisy room full of family members who are always, always trying to talk over each other. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, the theorist who developed this model was a family systems theorist. So family okay. systems theorists work with families, you know, so there are all these systems theories and we all, you know, all this stuff about external families. He talks about yeah. IFS being family therapy in the dark. Okay. <laughs> so, so it's kind of like, there's all these people talking and you do have to, I like one, my, one analogy I like, is like a cast of characters in a play. Yeah. And you just invite the other characters just to sort of stay in the wings. Yeah. To see if they'd be willing to take their turn. Mm-hmm. So you can only really talk to one person at a time. So yeah. So there's this process of, of checking to see how am I feeling toward this part of me that I'm wanting to get to know. Yeah. And if it's anything other than sort of this curious openness, then there's probably another part present. Okay. And we just start by asking, would you be willing to step back so I can start with this other one? And I'll come to you later. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's really no different than any other relationship we're used to in our day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't, you know, you're dealing with your kids all the time. You yeah. always have to, it's like, I can only talk to one of you at a time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, mommy, you know, mommy's going to pay attention to you. And uh-huh. It's your turn. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. I realize with the that's a little tougher. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then you <laughs> so, add the dog in there and it's like, Oh, forget it. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> so, you know, again, it's like that inside of us. And you mm-hmm. just, one of the qualities we possess that is patience. And mm-hmm. it, when we unblend from these other parts of us, we find ourselves more patient, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so that's the practice. So we turn our attention inside, mm-hmm. identify a part of us we want to get to, you know, spend some time with, mm-hmm. check our heart. Am I open? Am I curious? Mm-hmm. And then we hang out. Yeah. You know, once we get, you know, now sometimes there is a part of you that other parts are either afraid of because mm-hmm. it may be someone who has a lot of rage in their system mm-hmm. and that rage gets acted out on people mm-hmm. and other parts of the system are afraid of it or really don't like it. Mm-hmm. Or in some cases when there's a part of the system that's using substances or another kind of compulsive behavior such as porn or gambling or something like that mm-hmm. um, to numb pain, Yeah. other parts of the system are very critical of yeah. that kind of activity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when there are more intense, um, what we call polarities, sort of like a tug of war going on inside, yeah. you know, that's sometimes when a person takes the step, say, okay, I need to get the, an external person to help me with this. Yeah. So... Um, but I really believe that most of us can begin this journey of getting to know these different parts of ourselves, befriending them, hanging out with them, and and get benefit from that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as as you know, like anything else, of course, Beth. It's how willing am I to be intentional about this? Right. You know, am yeah. I willing to make this a habit where where I just begin to sort of even have one eye on the inside? as yeah. I have one eye on the outside mm-hmm. and um you know that takes time and practice and willingness so. yeah yeah it's definitely like one of those things that needs um rhythm almost you need mm-hmm. to get into the rhythm and the practice mm-hmm. of it yeah yeah um so obviously you did a lot of research <laughs> and a lot of work as you prepped for this book. So what was the most fascinating thing you did discover while researching and prepping for this book? You know, I, I am kind of an interpersonal neurobiology nerd. I love yeah. neuroscience. So nerding out on that stuff makes me really happy. Yeah, that's great. Um, and so it wasn't – I. I really knew that stuff well. So it was actually for me, it was just seeing as I sat with this material for mm-hmm. a better part of two years and writing this book, just how deeply congruent this is with Christian spirituality. Yeah. That and how powerful this can be for helping us live out the great commandment, mm-hmm. which is really, I mean, that's the vision we're given for our life. Yeah. And and so just the more I marinated it in, the more I explored scripture and the more I, you know, I just, that was really powerful for me. Hmm, Yeah. I love that. Is this something that you practice in your own life too? Then I'm assuming the IFS sitting and reflecting. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Yes. Um, You know, I found that once I, um, you know, my first motivation was to help clients. You know? Oh, yeah. That's my job. Yep. <laughs> um, but you soon learn. It's like this is true for any model of psychotherapy. Really, you have to do your own mm-hmm. work in the model to really, really understand it in your bones. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has been the most transformative um, practice for me. That's of awesome. Anything 
that I've done in my life. And I've, you know, it just, it's had a powerful impact. And, and, you know, I, I, the last um, chapter of the book is titled from exhortation to transformation. Yeah. And that's really my passion because Mm -hmm. there is a lot of exhortation in the church and Mm -hmm. there's a place for that. Um, and, and that's, I'm not saying that's bad, Yeah. but I'm hanging out in a, in the place of, well, how do we do this? How mm. do we grow? How do we become more loving? Yeah. Um, that's what I'm passionate about. I like that. The practical side almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Living it out. That's right. I like that. So you said it took two years to write this book. That is some <laughs> serious dedication. So can you tell us about your writing process? Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I got this inspiration for the book and um, I tend to be the type of person that when I get an inspiration like that, I, I go into action mode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, and thankfully, you know, I really believe God showed me very quickly after that, that I can't do this alone. Yeah. And so I immediately reached out to um, a small group of people um, who were either pastors or um, therapists who've been trained in this model, a couple friends that went to the same seminary I did, and I reached out to my uh, former New Testament professor who's written a number of books. And he was invaluable because he, you know, he really gave me great guidance about, okay, this is the kind of book people are interested in. It Mm -hmm. needs to be. 200 pages or less, short mm-hmm. chapters, story based, <laughs> and tell me how to, you know, give me the how to. Yeah. Make it practical. That's great. So, having that framework um, from the get go was super helpful. Yeah. And then it was really, I really had the book has four parts mm-hmm. an introduction and a conclusion. And I had three of those four parts right away. Nice. I knew kind of that structure. And then the fourth part came to me um, a little farther along in the process. I don't remember exactly when now, when I realized, you know, that that was going to be such an important part to really help people, you know, with this practice of learning how to go inside and notice how am I responding to Mm -hmm. different causes of distress? Yeah. 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 And then I, um, when I was nearing, I actually, and I don't know how much um, the listeners are interested in the whole publishing side of things, but very briefly, my professor had published with a number of major Christian publishers and okay. told me early on, well, I'll just help you. I'll just introduce you to my editors. Oh, yeah. <laughs> nice. I, mean, I didn't know anything about yeah. any of this. Yeah. And when the time came, um, he did make some introductions, but I also learned that publishers expect you to have a platform. Yeah. Well, I didn't have a platform. Yeah. I had just been seeing clients. I yep. haven't been on social media. I had no platform. Yeah. So it became clear to me that I was going to need to do self the self-publishing um, mm-hmm. route. Yeah. And through a resource called Writing for Your Life um, oh, that fun. supports Christian uh, writers, uh-huh. um, a man named Brian Elaine runs that, and he has resources uh, on his website, um, he to, so you can connect with people who will help you with editing or, um, you know, and, and through that, I found an editor who would, mm-hmm. did everything with me. I mean, wow. he did, you know, 
all of the editing. He helped for he put the he formatted the book. He helped me with cover cover design, and then wow. helped me load it onto the Kindle platform. Nice, that's great. Know, Kindle Direct Publishing, and it was such a slick process. It was, yeah, it was actually I did that all happened last spring. Yeah, and then the book came out the very end of September. Yeah, that's amazing. So it's been out in the world for a little while now. So how do you yeah. feel now that it's out there and people are reading it? Well, it's just amazing when I yeah. hear from somebody that, you know, they read the book, especially, you know, now and then you have the opportunity to hear back and, and mm -hmm. it's been, it's been wonderfully affirming. Um, oh, good. You know, people really resonate with the material in the book mm -hmm. and, um, I've just been super busy since yeah. <laughs> uh, since October yeah. building a platform because I've got this book, I've gotten wonderful um, affirming comments. So I have a sense that, you know, God led me to write it for a reason. I do yeah. think it's a resource that's going to help people. Yeah. Um, and so my job now is really to do all the things mm -hmm. um, to get it out there. I love so that. That's what I'm spending a whole lot of time on now. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> well, good luck. I know that can be a little hard. <laughs> It's, it's another job. <laughs> yes. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, so as someone is like thinking, oh, I really want to read this book. What is like, what is that one thing that you hope readers who read your book, you hope that they walk away with? With a, um, a new spiritual practice. Mm -hmm. you know, and I, I outline that. Yep. The appendix of the book take you through every step of, of what I, you know, what I describe as this new spiritual practice mm -hmm. that they can then incorporate into their other spiritual practices of prayer and mm -hmm. worship and service. And, you know, that this, that it becomes a routine part of their, of their walk. Um, and that they experience transformation as a result mm -hmm. within themselves and then in their relationships. I mean, that's a lofty goal, but that's my, <laughs> that's my hope. I love that. Dream big. Dream big. That's I right. love it. That's I think right. that's wonderful. So can I ask, are you working on anything next? Are you working on another book? Are you continuing your career? What's what's next for you? Yes, yes. Well, I do still see clients. I, I have Great. not stopped doing that throughout all of this. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, but, but I have stopped taking new clients because I, I've really felt, um, that this writing is, is where God is leading me to yeah. share, you know, I can share this information with a much, much larger group of people through yeah. the writing. So yes. in addition to, um, the writing that I'm doing, you know, on social media and then blog posts and emails and things like that, mm -hmm. um, I do have the idea for another book. Oh, so wonderful. I'm. I, it came to me honestly so quickly after the first one launched that I thought, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> uh, I can't do this right away. So I've, I've, I am intentionally holding off until maybe the fourth quarter of this year um, okay. to really, you know, get in the habit of all the other kinds of writing. Yeah. I, you know, I, I'm submitting articles, places, and so forth. Yeah. And then turn my attention to to really digging into the next book. But um, okay, yeah. So the idea is um, my working title is from exile to shalom: the Ooh. journey of reconciliation. Oh, I like that. <laughs> yeah. So shalom means wholeness, mm -hmm. and a lot of this model is about reintegrating parts of us that get um, cut off. 
Mm. and bringing bringing them back and Mm. you know again it's like jesus finding that lost sheep and bringing them back into the fold and Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so we'll see working titles never end up no that's true (laughs) that's fair i like it though i don't know you know okay yes and i should i should say that if listeners are interested mm-hmm. if you go to my website which is my name mollylacroix.com mm-hmm. um and you sign up for my emails you will get a freebie um that's the basic outline of this spiritual practice oh that's great that's and great you'll learn more information about the book and things like that too yeah well there you go that that was my next question where can they find you and then i'll link it all in the episode description Great. Yes. And I'm active on Instagram mm-hmm. um, at Molly LaCroix LMFT. So okay. licensed marriage and family therapist. That's what that means. Yep. And um, yeah. And I, I post under the same name at Facebook. If people have a preference for Facebook okay. on my professional page. Mm-hmm. And one of these days I'm going to add Twitter, but I haven't yet. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. I find that Twitter takes a little bit more effort. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And I should say, um, I was asked to contribute a chapter to a book that will be coming out in uh, June. Oh. Brian Elaine for the from writers um, writing for your life. Okay. Uh, he decided to edit a book called How to Heal Our Divides, huh. and asked a number of Christian authors and organizations to contribute chapters. Um, and that book will be coming out in June. And I did uh, contribute a chapter um, about internal family systems and how mm-hmm. helping to heal our inner divides yeah. helps us show up in the world in a different way mm-hmm. to be more effective in healing those external divides. Wow. I love that. That's awesome. Thanks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was honored to be asked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are a number of very prominent people contributing Parker Palmer, Brian McLaren. Mm, that's um, great. Some, some big name people. So. Wow, exciting. Very exciting. <laughs> That's so fun. Thank okay, <clears throat> very important. <laughs> the last question. What is your favorite book and why? Gosh, that is so hard. <laughs> um, yeah. And I'm, you know, I... I read a lot of nonfiction. Yeah. I, I would say primarily nonfiction. Yeah. Um, other than just fluff stuff that I read before. I like historical novels. Okay. So I'll read that kind of fluffy stuff before I'm going to sleep at night. Yeah, that's um, good. But, you know, I would say, you know, what comes to mind is a book that I read that really got me focused on IFS. Mm-hmm. which is called The Body Keeps the Score. Hmm, I'm and, reading that right now. <laughs> oh, for heaven's sake. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, such an amazing book. Bessel van der Kolk is the world-renowned expert on the impact of trauma. Hmm. And I often use the word adversity because sometimes people are quick to dismiss and say, oh, I, I, you know, I've never experienced trauma. Yeah. Um, we've all experienced adversity. Oh, yeah. And that book, the first half of the book, really helps people – understand the impact of of adversity Mm -hmm. and then the second half of the book features different approaches to healing Mm -hmm. Um, and there's a chapter on IFS there's also a chapter on EMDR which I was highly trained in I would help other people learn um, that approach to healing trauma which is widely recognized and very effective wow Um, but yeah, that, that really got me on this journey with IFS. So I'm super grateful and um, 
and it just really helps people, mm -hmm. I think. Yep. Um, you know, it's important information. The more trauma-informed we are in this world, the more compassion we will have. Yeah. For when people show up who've been who have been terribly wounded, you know, they're going to show up in ways that are not easy to be around at times. Mm -hmm. But when we really understand the pain that's driving some of those behaviors and some of those other activities, mm -hmm. it opens our compassion, and then we can we can show up with more unconditional love, which mm -hmm. of course is. <laughs> What we all hope yeah. to be able to do. <laughs> yeah. Kind of the end goal right there. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Well, that's wonderful. Um, I like that book. I'm reading it right now. So <laughs> oh, that's, that's so great. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I have loved our conversation. It's been great. Thanks so much for listening to Beth's Bookcast. If you are looking for more resources or reading inspiration, please join my Patreon, where you will get an email from me every week with more about this week's episode and some bonus episodes with even more books. Link is in the description. Readers, make sure you have hit follow or subscribe wherever you are listening so that you don't miss any episodes. I'll see you next week. Until then, happy reading!